to another edition of the Drawn Today podcast. In this episode, Aaron and I talked to Jim Pavlik about the recent panel we presented in November at the 2012 ElixCon Symposium. We presented info and ideas on strengthening the artist's role in the industry. First, we'll briefly get some thoughts from the crew and then jump right into the panel audio. Enjoy. Welcome to Drawn Today. Uh, this is Aaron Miller at AaronBMiller.com. I'm here with Mike Sass and Jim Pavlik to talk about this uh, really cool idea that that we uh, brought to everyone's attention at IlixCon. So uh, say hi, Mike and Jim. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Jim, tell us about your panel that uh, that you helped us organize and. Uh, and presented at AlexCon. What was uh, what was your main motivation behind that? Well, I had, uh, especially with things that are going on online now, had a growing level of frustration with the direction that the industry is going. And I figured that AlexCon would be a great place to have a panel where we could discuss ways to make the industry better. Uh, you know, the artists ourselves make it better instead of trying to rely on companies to make it better because they have really no impetus to do it on their own, you know, to make the industry better for us as artists. So I thought it would be a good place to discuss that and try and get something going. And uh, you were going to make a comment about just sort of the difficulty of putting the panel together and your thoughts on uh, just organizing it and being the guy who spearheaded it. What was... uh... What was your thoughts on on being the guy who had to put the work to, to get the ball rolling and get some momentum? Well, um, you know, I've always been a bit of a loudmouth in regards to how we get treated in this industry. So it, it was no big deal for me to kind of step up there and try and organize the panel. Um, I was a little shocked by the amount of people I asked to do it who said no for various reasons. Uh, so it was, a, I thought it would be really simple to get this panel together, but it was really quite difficult. And, um, but I'm happy with the people that I ended up doing it with. I thought we had a broad range from, uh, people who've been in the industry for quite a long time, such as Todd and myself and Randy and guys coming in like you and Aaron. So, had a wide range of people who had a lot of things, uh, important things to say about this industry and some good insights. I'm, I'm glad we did it. it. It got a lot better response than I had thought it would. Or support, that support that that we actually need. Yeah, I've, I felt that it would be well attended uh, because it is such an important topic. But I was also surprised at how enthusiastic everybody was after the fact you know, with the things that we had come up with. So that was pretty encouraging. Mm -hmm. I think one of the the big things is that, you know, we heard when we were doing the panel, a lot of people in the audience were saying, you know, we've never, we've never heard these things before. We, we've never heard any information on money or the industry or, or business aspects. And I think people were just really, really appreciative to sort of, you know, hear that because really at the end of the day, your, your skills 
in your portfolio is one thing, but uh, you know, without the whole business side, none of it really exists. And I really got the sense that it was a bit of an eye opener for people, and and really uh, a topic that was that was in in dire need of being broached. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, among the the list of things that that artists need, especially coming out of school, this this would be really helpful. Yeah, I think it was really good, you know, for like you say, the the people just coming out of school and people new to the industry, but. I think it's really going to be helpful for those of us who have been in it for quite a while to just kind of organize ourselves and try and make ourselves heard to these companies, you know, that they need to pay a living wage, you know, if they want to get good work out of us. And we need to live up to that. You know, we need to live up to wanting and negotiating for a living wage as opposed to what we're getting paid now. Yeah, there's that. And the living up to it is, you know, obviously our side, uh, our, the skills that we are trying to build all the time, um, the, the classes that we invest in and the materials and books and stuff. It's just a, just a fraction of, of the things that we go above and beyond what I think most people do at any job at any level unless they're required to by law. Yeah. And I think, you know, from what we saw in the panel that, uh, you know, the ideas we broached will help within companies for art directors to be able to say, you know, this is how bad it is, you know, to their bean counters. You know, this is how upset these guys are and how frustrating it is. And, if we don't do something about it soon, it's going to reach a tipping point. So we'll see, you know, if, if once we get this website together, if we can gain a little leverage and start to move things in a positive direction. Definitely. And we, we're all in agreement on the name that we're going to go with. Do we want to mention that? I, I don't so, know yeah. if we're a hundred percent in agreement, but I think we should mention definitely the direction we're going. So we, we've come up with uh pact, P-A-C-T. So what does that stand for? Professional Artists Resource Toolkit. Or uh, no, that was part of the other one. <laughs> client. Client Toolkit. Uh, client Toolkit. That's it. Yeah. Professional Artists Client Toolkit. That's it. Right. And then as far as a website name goes, we don't have one at this point. You know, We'll probably have it nailed down by the time this podcast goes out. But uh, we thought that was a good name um, because, you know, this is about professional artists, uh, you know, making making a stand and, and uh, making standards and, and disseminating information um, of a professional level for the ability to remain a professional. And uh, artists is, is uh, self-explanatory. Client toolkit, we were thinking... Um, now the website we're going to make, as you'll hear in the panel, is, uh, is not going to be just a rating system, but we're thinking a repository for various tools to help manage the client relationship. Um, Jim, do you have any further comments? Well, I think it'll be a valuable website too for the clients to go to, to see, 
you know, what is expected in a professional industry on their part. You know, I think a lot of companies now come into this industry and they don't, they don't have any idea of what they need to do to contract artwork and anything about rights or anything like that. So we're going to have all that information on this website and it'll be helpful for the artists and for the clients. So that's the client part of the pact. Yeah, that actually that, that PDF that uh, Randy put together, while it didn't, it didn't uh, get me one particular job, but at least it helped the client understand where, where I was coming from and maybe appreciated his role or, or what he needed to think about uh, on his end. And then he, he actually emailed me a lot to, to keep asking questions about, uh, what we do in the industry and how how it works, um, and I think that's that's one of the hardest things to get out there is how how our our job works at all. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys who start companies, they know all about the game mechanics and world design and all that stuff, but they just have no idea about the artwork side of things. Right. And then they come in and they just kind of look at what everybody else is doing. And right now, that's pretty much work for hire for terrible rates. So that's just what they decide to do. So hopefully this website will break that cycle. Mm -hmm. I think it was a really interesting point, too, like the feedback we got instantly from from the art directors and the, the company reps in the room. Um, what did you guys think about that? I thought that was, that was uh, unexpectedly... Um, positive and and welcoming to the ideas. Yeah, I was really surprised to get uh, get them just even speaking. Uh, I thought, you know, I was a little nervous. Uh, I know Jim's not nervous about it, but I, w I was a little nervous that um, that they might we might get blacklisted or something. Which is again what jim was mentioning about people not wanting to be part of this initially is that maybe that's what they were afraid of that you know maybe they thought that this was going to come at the our, our clients negatively and instead we're, we're trying to you know we're trying to deliver the best that we can yeah i was i was really uh like I say, kind of surprised and pleased with uh, the feedback, you know, from the art directors that were in the room. Uh, I wasn't worried about how they felt about it, but I was happy that they were not antagonistic. Yeah, it's, it seemed like they were definitely saying, you know, we we agree and and uh, and understand, you know, the uh, the difficulties the artists have, but. You know, it's, it's as much a tool for them in the internal discussions they have in their companies as it is externally. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. All right. Anything else we should broach, uh, Jim and Aaron, before we get to the audio? Not really. I think, uh, you know, the, the audio we have of the panel from the convention will tell quite a bit, so... You should just let people listen to that and then let them know that we will uh, have a Facebook page in a little while where we can start getting people's input, you know, on what they would like to see or any concerns that they have, you know, about the site before we launch, you know, a full scale 
uh, website. Yeah, I guess if there's anything I'd like to add is just um, people are going to listen to this audio and, and, and the expectations will sort of go up. Um, but that, you know, this is a process that's going to take quite a long time for us to implement. Um, right. It's, it's taken us probably three weeks just to get a name and to disseminate this audio already. You know, we're all busy working professionals and, you know, yeah, nobody's paying are, at this point. So We're all full-time freelancers, and this is something we've decided to take on on our own. So it's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, it is going to happen, and it is, you know, going to be well thought out. And, uh, you know, not just slap together as quickly as possible just to get something out there. Right. Yeah, this is definitely the, it's the idea is that it's going to be here for us in the, in the long run and, and continually, uh, uh, being worked on. Um, so I, I definitely don't think this is going to be something we're just going to poop out. (laughs) So if, if people want to just keep their ear to the ground um, with the friends they have in the industry, there'll be some Facebook page created very shortly with the the word "packed," uh, probably artist in in the title, and uh, this will be the the page we're starting as the in between point to getting the website made. The, uh, the right. thing that we're going to use to gather and and uh, organize information and ideas. Yeah, it's gonna be good. All right, well let's uh, let's get to this uh, panel audio we have for you guys. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Jim Pavlik, this is our panel on why this industry sucks and what we can do to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been doing freelance illustration full time for about 15 years, uh, and that's pretty much been my only job, you know, except for the stupid jobs you work before you can afford to do this. And that's my intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Todd Lockwood. I've uh, been working in this industry since. About 1994, uh, started at TSR in 96. But apart from the six years at TSR and Wizards of the Coast, I've freelanced my 30 plus years of, of professional illustration. Uh, I did advertising, uh, came to loathe it, found my way into this career that I always wanted to work in, which I really love. Uh, and now I'm freelancing. And yeah, it can be a tough row sometimes. Aaron? I'm Aaron Miller. I'm the new guy. The FNG. <laughs> this is my third year, but I've got a, over do, uh, 10 years of design experience in art direction. So um, I've got a lot of freelance background. But Can you all hear him? Speak up, See, that's why you should be up here in Belden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading lips anyway. <laughs> that's it. Randy, uh, I'm Randy Gallegos, and uh, minus the many years in advertising that Tom had, amazingly, I started about the same time he did in '94 in this mm-hmm. industry, anyway, with significantly less to show for it, I might add. 
But um, but I've been doing it freelance pretty much the whole time and have uh, stomached years of crushing poverty and uh, just fighting an industry that continues to um, have new opportunities open up at the same time old ones close and uh, rates not necessarily change very much and expectations climb ever higher with competition and lots and lots of people entering in wanting to be a part of it. Um, I'm Mike Sass. I... Uh I was the first artist hired at Bioware in 1995, and I worked there as the marketing artist for 12 years. Um, and as I was at Bioware, I was doing a lot of fantasy art, um, talking to Todd Lockwood. He would help me as a mentor a little bit from time to time. Um, and I always wanted to be a freelancer. I thought that was, um, I mean, that's where you're the pure artist. You can do art every day. There's no <laughs> political stuff and meetings. And, and Todd would tell me, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's rough. And uh, I left Bioware in 2008 and found that out for myself in the last three years. <laughs> so I think we we're going to start off giving you a little bit of anecdotal evidence from each of our point of views of how things are going in this industry. And I think my story would be probably about 10 years ago, I helped organize a boycott uh, of a company because I felt they were paying too low. And I got enough artists to say, no, we won't work for you anymore unless you pay us more. So the owner called me up and he said, what's the problem? And I told him, you know, we just want a little more money. And he agreed to it. So our pay went up to $200 per card. And now 10 years later, a lot of you are working for that company for $175 a card. So things are going backwards almost across the board. There's no cost of living increases going on anywhere. And like I said, if anything, people are pulling back. And there's really no need. The market hasn't shrunk. It's pretty much the same market. If not, it's expanded. So there's really no reason that we shouldn't be able to make a little more for what we're putting out there. But there are challenges now because a lot of these companies will find artists in Russia or Southeast Asia. China is even starting to open up. And they'll take 175 bucks for a card and feel like they've, they've had a windfall. Um, so I don't see it improving, really. So we have to find ways to, as a community, do better. I'm not we're, and we're not going to suggest that we should create an artist union because it's not going to happen. It doesn't work. There's always new students who will take that $100 card, and that, that just drives things down. But that, it's a very real problem. Um, book commissions haven't gone up in 20 years. Yeah. Um, we were going to talk about anecdotes, about just the reality of some of the things. So when we talk about the solutions, people can understand the numbers behind it and, and the reasons why we're talking about this. So, Todd, do you want to maybe expand upon that a little bit? Oh, I thought I just did. <laughs> Aaron, any thoughts, Aaron? Um, I like I'm, since I'm new, I, everything is looking back at what I did before. Hey, why don't you compare? what's going on for you now as opposed to what was going on for you in graphic design? Oh, I had a lot less talent in graphic design, but a lot more zeros taking it home. And then as soon as I got here into the illustration industry, the I had a lot more talent to build up. And I feel like I'm as I'm building it up, I'm still, those zeros are a lot further away. <laughs> it was a lot easier to make money with no talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, 
A lot of people enter this industry because it's it's a lot of fun. It's the it's the imagery they want to make, and if there's some way in which they can earn a, a living doing it, uh, you'll fight really hard to do it. And I know it's because of what I've done. Um, and so just before this, I kind of wrote out a little example of what kind of a living you're not likely to make. Um, you can make a living, and there are people who certainly do. And if you get to a pretty high level, you can make a pretty good one. Uh, for the bulk of people, though, uh, I just kind of scribbled out here because, you know, you don't want to talk about, you know, what clients pay in particular. Um, but if you were an artist in this industry who could, you know, put out, you know, 15 magic cards a year, you did 10 for World of Warcraft, which pays pretty decent as card scale goes. You did four covers for a decent RPG cover and a good 15, 16 spot illustrations in color uh, for a year. If you can, if you had that body of work in a year, you're at about $35,000 a year gross and I don't know how many of you have that kind of work in a given year but that's what you're looking at and so if you want to be able to make a living in this industry it is extremely hard and the fact that we and I I spent years as well you know taking on projects that paid extraordinarily small amounts of money because it's work mm. and you know, it's really easy to essentially get minimum wage or less because you're working really hard to put out a good product uh, for very small pay. And there's a sense in which I don't want anyone here to think that I don't want you to make those decisions because you're hurting me. Um, I mean, you are, but more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, you're hurting yourself down the line because the choices that I made 15 years ago in taking some of those have resulted in an industry that today has not grown rates, has, you know, greater expectations for the smaller amount of pay that they're paying. And so I'm actually hurting myself over time. And so the decisions that you're going to make as you um, take on jobs and take on low-paying jobs because they, you know, you just want something printed, you know, to have in your portfolio, which isn't as important as you might think, um, they're going to come back and they're going to hurt you down the line. And so a lot of what we're talking about is trying to encourage, uh, try to encourage ways for you to think about how you can uh, make different choices in this industry because it's not up to us to tell the industry how to do its job. They they need to do their job. They they need to make money, obviously, and uh, they'll make the choices they make based on what we're willing to do for them, really, ultimately. And um, and you can't fault them for that. And most companies have two levels of of uh, of employees. Their your direct you know your art directors and the people that are working closest to you. Most of them support what you do and would like to see you and often do go to bat for artists. Level above that, far removed from the artist, you know, they're much more just, you know, focused on the bean counting. And they're not like, they're going to resist those moves, especially when they know we're making decisions for other companies uh, and accepting far less uh, for similar kind of work. So when Randy's talking about how you're hurting yourself down the road, um, a lot of these companies, it's becoming more and more the, nor the norm that you're going to get a work-for-hire contract, which means the buyer owns all rights. You can't sell prints, you can't put it in an art book, you can't collateralize it in any way. And that's really stealing from your future income, if, if you agree to that. Uh, some companies who, who want to protect their IP, like Wizards of the Coast, will let you do prints and uh, use it in... Uh, retrospectives like an art book or sometimes a calendar, but even Wizards of the Coast wants to restrict what percentage, and I understand that they're not unreasonable in their in their expectation, but they don't want you to fill up an art book with all Wizards of the Coast owned properties, because um, uh, they could do that if, if they wanted to. Um, 
although they'd get a fight from me because <laughs> and have in the past. John, think, John knows. But what happens down the road when you've built a little bit of a reputation and you're making some of your sales on things like print sales and you sell the, a, a cover that you own the copyright to to a publication overseas, your work is starting to pay you back for the, for for your having protected it for all that time. Um, I had a, a great Gen Con this last year where I sold about $12,000 worth of prints. It was almost all prints. And I couldn't have done that if I had signed all those rights away forever, every time I did an illustration for somebody. So you have to protect your future now. And if you sign a work-for-hire contract for 100 bucks, you've really hurt yourself. And what we're seeing now is... You know, as companies come and go, smaller companies come in and they look, they don't really know about the art side of things. They know they design the game, but they don't know about the art. So they look to companies like Watsi or whoever, they're like, well, what kind of contracts do they use? And they see it's work for hire. So they think it's industry standard to offer everybody a work for hire contract. So what we need to do as artists with some of these smaller companies or mid-sized companies, new companies, when they offer you work for hire contracts, have some contracts of your own and say, well, I'm not really comfortable working for that. Here's what I am comfortable working for. And make sure, you know, like Todd says, you negotiate the ability to make prints, you know, the ability to use it in an art book. And I was talking to a professional photographer who's been doing this for over 30 years, and he says a third of his income every year comes from the resale of images. If you sign all that away 10 years, 20 years down the road, you're not going to have that third of your income, and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So we need to just kind of fight back against all the work for hire out there. And, you know, it's not going to work against licensed properties, of course, you know, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. You're not going to be able to win that battle. But if some company contacts you, I need a wizard casting a fireball spell. That's generic. They don't need the rights to that forever and ever and ever. But that's this image that you could resell down the road. Well, there's times when they will. I mean, if they provide you with concept art, then it's IP. It's intellectual property. Yeah, and and they're not out of bounds to expect that they own the character or the, the, the image. But if they're going to come to you and say, we want to own this forever and ever and ever, then you have to say, well, then $200 is, is not, not enough. enough. Yeah. Now, there's going to be times, obviously, when you've got a bill to pay and that's the only offer you've had. And, and there's really nothing else you can do. You know, we can't fault you for that. But just be aware that um, that's a that's a really deep rut that you can find yourself in if if you always say yes. The most powerful word in your contracting vocabulary is no. And read the contracts too. Read the contract. Be willing to walk away from a job. Is at least if you have the ability, like we've been discussing, to do prints, even though you don't own the rights, you can do prints. But there are contracts out there that will say, you have to pay that company if you do prints. You have to pay that company if you want to put it in your portfolio to show it on the Internet on your portfolio. You have to pay them a percentage every year from the work that you get from that image of having appeared or whatever. So those are the easiest no's in the world to mm -hmm. say, just, nope, sorry. And, or there's no reason to let that... John. So, I get to see it from both sides of the fence, you know, being with wishes of the ghost. Sure. So, the, the thing I want to throw out there is the fact that 
one of the challenges I have, I mean, I have the discussion on a yearly basis when we get ready to do budgets. I sit and say, hey, we haven't increased rates for X amount of years, 15 years at this point. And say, we need to increase rates. I mean, hell, minimum wage has gone up 12 times in the last 15 years. Why haven't we increased our rates? And the response I constantly get, because you're dealing with bean counters, you're not dealing with, you know, people who understand art or the living of art, is, okay, explain to me the last time you were able to produce a book, or you weren't able to produce a book because every artist told you no when you offered them a contract. And that's the challenge I have. You know, mm -hmm. On my side, I want to increase rates. But it's really hard for me to go to my bosses and say, look, I've got an entire tier of artists that say no to me. Yeah, you can always wave me at them if it'll help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the problem is the problems aren't you, Todd. I know, I'm one guy. You're one guy. It's the 40,000 people I call up and every single one of them says yes mm -hmm. in a heartbeat. I will do that. I know, you know that's the, that is that a is challenge. The, that's the challenge we have in the industry. So there you go, an example of, you know, our decisions kind of hurting ourselves, right? Because here's someone saying that, you know, there's a way it, he could put evidence forward, you know, why, as to why things could change. And there's enough people that will say yes. And I've, I've been one of those over the years, you know. I was too in the beginning. What yeah. can you do? I mean, it, it, it's part of being dedicated enough to stick it out. You know, a lot of the people who are saying yes will have hurt themselves and they'll they'll find another job. But if... if if you really want to stick it out, you have to be willing to up your game and be aware of those contract situations and always be trying to better your your, your situation um, in the industry. One of my anecdotes uh, sort of speaks to that. I went to uh, Gen Con in, in 2001 uh, whenever Winter Nights was being made. And uh, this was the first time I, I came and met real artists. You know, I didn't live in a place where there was other artists. And I met Todd Lockwood and Donato and Lars and all these guys and did a couple really crappy freelance jobs for Wizards of the Coast at that time that still haunt me today because I really wasn't <laughs> ready at that time. Um, went and worked for another 10 years at my job. Then came to IllixCon um, in 2009 and it was the same guys. So in that 10-year period, it didn't seem like the field had, it didn't seem like the crop of artists had changed a lot. Like, I walked in the door, and it was like, whoa, hey, you know, hey, everybody knew everybody on a first-name basis. Even though I hadn't seen them for 10 years, they know me, I knew them, and it didn't seem like the crop of pros had really grown. So what Todd is saying about, um, you know, protecting your career and thinking long-term and, and, and these sort of steps... The people that haven't done that, it seems like you may get a foothold in the industry for a year or two, but I get the sense that there's sort of a, the guys that do this work and have, you know, low, low, uh, expenses and whatnot and, and take the steps to be sustainable, they can go year after year. But there's always, you know, the young guys come in and go out and come in and go out and, and, and feed off of the lower rates, but it's not a sustainable situation. And it was just an interesting anecdote for me to, to, it was a shock to see that it was the exact same guys doing the same work for the same companies 10 years later and that the field hadn't really grown or expanded. So it, it shows that the, the bar of entry is, is really high to, first of all, get in but stay in and be cagey enough to do these things to stay in. There are a lot of guys who have day jobs. Lars Grant West, as he was building his portfolio and his skills, he worked for a zoo as a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Mark Zug worked in a foundry or something. Um, 
So those guys were painting evenings and weekends to, to get their foothold. And to allow themselves some freedom to say no. And to allow themselves... Because they know they're not dependent on $100 illustrations to pay their bills. That's exactly right. So uh, uh, I'm about a year into illustration, and one question I'm wondering by hearing you guys talk is, even though the the pay rates were low, didn't you benefit from working on Dungeons & Dragons and the name recognition of things like, you know, Warhammer and those big, like Star Wars? You know, I mean, sure, you can't use your Star Wars painting, but you can still... Show it and look. You know, right. I painted Queen Amidala or absolutely you know, all that. But so I how, had a, a day job you, at the beginning too. I was doing advertising illustration, but that was my day job. So then, what what's your advice? Because I mean, I really want to work on Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, that's something I've always wanted. Um, how do you balance that with the fact that the pay rates aren't great? Like, I feel like you guys are saying. We should say no, but you're at a point where you've benefited from the yes in the past already. Yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna dispute that a little bit. I've actually hurt myself a lot from taking those some of those very jobs um, because when you're getting paid a very low rate and you took it because you're totally thrilled to work on a product, and that amount of pay, you're gonna stretch it as far as you can because you want to make a good piece, but you're gonna drive yourself to you are going to be homeless if you spent all the time you needed to on that quarter page illustration, right? So you're either going to become homeless because you took a month to do that quarter page, or you're going to cut your corners, and you're going to cut your corners in a way to make an acceptable illustration, but not one that's going to actually help you in the end. So, you know, you'll you'll produce a piece which is marginal. It's okay. I almost shouldn't say this, but go by my table in the art show. There's some really old originals of mine there that are from and, when I was first trying to get in here. Some cards I did for Wizards of the Coast. Right? I had to do two a day in order to make it pay out, and it shows. They're kind of crappy. And they actually do hurt you, and art directors do do see it. Oh, and... it hurts when I look at them right now. I look over <laughs> Why did I bring that stuff here instead of the bigger painters? Right. And yeah. I'll expand upon that, too. I said I got work immediately in 2001, and like literally half an hour ago, a guy came up with a D&D book published like last year, and he said, oh, you're in this. And I'm like, really? I really haven't done much. And I look, and it's like the worst picture I did like 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, God. So the point is, is, so I went back and worked for another 10 years, you know, built up, you know, my savings, got into a better situation, got my skills and portfolio to a place where then um, I could attempt to get the higher level jobs. And I guess my point would be is don't be in a real rush, you know, like, if you're in a good situation where you can learn in the evenings, maybe you don't have kids yet, you have a job that allows you to, um, you know, maybe take some, some time off, take some workshops, um, that's powerful. It gets harder to learn, harder to, um, you know, say no when when your income is your freelance income and that's it. So even even just like waiting is, is sometimes a really good thing to do. If I might add, uh, Sam, yeah, you got to pick and choose. You know, if if somebody's offering you a Star Wars piece and you really want to work on Star Wars and the pay is kind of crappy, but you're gonna make that Star Wars piece a portfolio piece, and the odds are that you're gonna be able to sell that original, that makes that gamble a little bit safer than of the many offers that you're gonna get. <coughs> where you're probably not going to sell that painting or prints of it or anything. 
So, you know, we're not saying say no across the board. That's unrealistic for us to say that, and especially like you point out, because we have all done it. So we're not saying say no across the board. We're saying pick and choose, and where you can, negotiate for yourself a better situation. And you can do that by limiting the number you take. Maybe just take one. And think about how many times you can get paid for one image. Like my top selling print is something I did over 10 years ago. Mm. Um, I did a, a, an image like maybe eight years ago and suddenly that character's big again in a new video game and boom, that print is selling like hotcakes and it's like, mm. cool. So, so yeah, pursue the stuff that you can leverage, you know, originals, licenses, you know, things that have multiple streams of income over a long period of time. But to that same thing for a hundred bucks, at, at this point, I mean, I already knew it because I came from an industry that a hundred bucks is answering the phone. That's, 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 you know, you're already there. We're already at a hundred bucks because we're talking. So, at hundred bucks, it's like how many days? Mm -hmm. And then at that point, what could I have just done for myself? Exactly, and given at the time it needed. Well, then I own it. If you really you want own. to do Star Wars that bad, Let's do get your this own question piece. Up here. Uh, my question was: you're talking about waiting and improving your portfolio until you feel you can get in the affiliate world and you pay for your quality work. Where would you suggest working while you're waiting to improve your portfolio? I mean. Like, yeah. I mean, Mark Zug worked in a foundry. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, you do what you have to do. To There's guys goals, in the main show, uh, the two Croatian guys. <laughs> I bet nobody knew these guys two years ago. Boom, main show. Like, if you got the chops, you get entry into these, you know, palaces and gates and shows easily. Like, if you can do it, you can do it. You're there. And this like, is, yeah, this is a little of the myth I was talking about, about the, the desire to, the need to be published. Because if your work is excellent, you can walk in the door having not been published. You'll have to get over a little bit of the are you reliable bit. But if you come off as professional, you come off as professional, and that can be easily allayed. But if, you're, if, if your work is awesome, you're going to go straight to the top anyway, and you'll skip all those entry-level jobs. So you don't need to necessarily have been you know, published in a lot of small places. You know. I was well into my 30s when I got the breaks that led me to the career I have now. And before that, I was honing my craft and learning my contract skills and all that stuff in advertising, doing work I really hated, but it was paying my bills. But on the side, I was also doing things for myself and building a, a portfolio that eventually I showed at my first convention, and, and then the doors started to open. So you can't really expect to just get out of art school and kick a door down and, and start making money. Um, you mentioned... You know, if you really want to do a Star Wars piece, but, you know, you want to do it for yourself, what would the legality be regarding selling prints and, you know, selling the original piece? You're not supposed to, yeah. Well, you're not supposed to, but go to yeah. a Comic-Con and see everybody up and down the aisle selling Marvel characters and Star Wars. They're not at the convention policing yeah. what because, you're doing. I mean, I've seen I'm not going to advocate. All the time, but, I mean, I know they're... You just don't do it online. The legal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't make a book. Don't do... Yeah. A teacher of mine, he did a portrait of John Lennon, and he put it up on eBay, and he was actually, you know, slapped on... Right, but it's where did, where did he get his reference? Yeah. 
that's a, from a photo is if you're getting your own references, building your own characters. Yeah, take your own picture of John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> what was your point, Mike? You, got, you shouldn't be wanting to do Star Wars material yes. because you're going traumatized. And see, everyone's more doing than it. than you can possibly look at. If every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the art show is showing pictures do something that's different. Yeah, right. yeah that's yeah, why I've had no interest in Star Wars. You want people to remember you when they walk out of the art show. They're not going to remember you if you're doing yet another Yoda or Han Solo. You know, and and this is apart from all the the commissioned Star Wars work that Lucas had done for the movies already, which is already at the highest quality. So why would you? I don't understand why you want to do that and take the chance of just being another face in this huge crowd instead of trying to come up with something original that'll make an for yourself. Yeah, that would have been my point. I agree. Some of the great starts in the industry now with stuff like Kickstarter coming up. Didn't it be out of the question to do some your own intellectual properties? And, and you we're, great we're getting to that. So <laughs> next segue. <laughs> we we're 25 minutes in. So. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're exactly right. And a lot of people are, are doing that. We are going to go to your art. They've been following you for years and years. You want to see what your next big thing is going to be. And if it's not a magic card or whatever, I mean, it could be a whole a book. Yeah, we need to move on to uh, the idea that an idea that we're having some of the ideas, yeah, to to help out other than just say. So say should no. we go to Kickstarter? Well, yeah, let's go to the website. So, so what we okay. have in mind is a website for freelancers to come on. It would be you know a resource. We would explain all different you know the rights and the terminology of contract terminology and this would be available there and you this is uh, this up. is something that Randy wrote which is fantastic it goes and it's called uh, learning how to commission illustration this is something that you would talk to companies about it's a tool he, he wrote they, they to help companies who aren't really new to this understand small clients in particular because yeah, there's a lot of self publishing going on and these guys have no clue what they're after and a lot of them I found are teachable. Yeah. Sometimes you have to get over a couple of you know, they really don't get it. But you know, if you're patient with them, I found I've actually had very successful interactions with a number of them and so I put this together and it's it's long and you know, nobody likes to read, but I found that people have and it's actually worked, you know, so I'm giving it out and use it, you know. Yeah, so we have copies up here that you can take and if you want to con there's a PDF we have you can contact us. It's on art order right now. Art order is carrying yeah. it, yeah. You have that's one thing as well. We were talking about a website that would be a resource for illustrators to find out which clients are reliable, what kind of rights they expect. Um, so it would basically be a rating system. So like you, Angie's list. Right. You would join the website, and if you could, there'd be two kinds of memberships. One where you could just join just to see what companies are rated at what. And there's another level where you would join where you would be able to actually contribute to the vote, the voting of what their level is. But at that level, you have to prove that you've worked for that company. And, you, you know, so we make sure that guys aren't just coming in to slam somebody because right. they had a bad experience or... You know, we're, we're really very early on in discussing yeah, how it would work. We're just kind of brainstorming this, but the, so we're yeah, very open so to ideas. Open but to any suggestions, but rating, we, we, talk, we talked about... Oh, sorry, go ahead. The, the rating would be based on pay, what rights they want, the timeliness of pay, and how easy are they to work with. In other words, is it you send in your sketch and they're like, paint it, and you paint it, and they're like, great, or is it ten revisions, you know? So 
all those factors would be in and they would come up with some kind of total score. You know, like a Rotten Tomatoes number, like a 78%. Yeah, what we were talking about with memberships, uh, something like a membership where you can just come in and look at everything and then a voting membership. And we wouldn't post a rating for a company until they've had at least like five reviews or yeah, something. Yeah, we wouldn't just have one review and it's 10% and then that yeah, company somebody like shit. come in and blame <laughs> a company for, for one late payment or something. I mean, we, we don't want to be unfair. Yeah, there would definitely be oversight. You know, we're not just going to let everything go up there. And, and, and the, the membership list would be viewable. So you would know. Yeah, so your, your voting would be anonymous so that nobody n knew what percentage you gave a company, but there would be a list so you could see all of the artists that are participating in this website. You know, so if you come in as a new guy, you see all these names and you're like, oh, you know, these, these guys are saying which companies are good and which aren't, so maybe I should listen. So, so it doesn't look like random or rants or... or scores from inexperienced people who maybe um, a bad result is, is based on maybe their own problem or, or their own failings. So, you know, people that have expectations and, and experience, you know, will be rating it fairly. So that's it's not also it's not also intended to be a forum for complaining and ranting right. and gossiping. Yeah, there, and it, there, I, won't, there probably won't be any yeah, forum we, we at discussed all. that and decided there I think shouldn't it, be a you know, forum. I, 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 I thought of it more session. in a much more objective basis, you know, something like a credit score. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. where like just, a, you know. It's almost like a better business bureau for our industry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, John, just off the cuff, we, making you guys how sweat? you from the other side would, would react to that. So, me on the other side, that'd be really easy. I'd love to see that because for me, that gives me something to look at and judge myself and, and, and basically get a, you know, a scorecard for where Wizard stands and things and what we need to do or improve or how I can use. Because, again, that gives me that... The thing I'm always looking for is concrete stuff I can use to take to my management and say, this is what's working, this is, a, this is what's not working, this is what the impressions are from me. You know, because right now all they ever get is anecdotal evidence through me. Okay. And I say, hey, this is a problem. And they go, really? We don't see that, you know. So this That's nice a, to hear. It would all be right. actually good for me to have this, you know, it would be like the movie store. His sister says, here's what the critics are saying. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad John said that because... We're talking about it as a guidance tool, too. So instead of just five stars or a score, we'll have criteria. Like, top five-star company does these good things. And so when a new client comes in and, and wants to raise their score or wants to see why, you know... Assuming they give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> but if they, but they can see well, what's now. important to the artist and why the artist, you know, if if the top company allows print rights and the top company is is quick on payment and stuff then these companies will see geez you know we're not really doing that you know maybe that's important so just calling it out if if a hundred people are saying that's important and we don't like when you do this and not just like one or two emails that the art director yeah. might get then we're we're showing a standard and, and you know, it's been called out there's a lot of companies i can hear saying because i've heard it more than a few times because Artists we're, all, are a dime a we're already doing this though but uh -huh. we do this this whole system is already happening from artist to artist yeah we do it between each other but we need a place publicly where you can all see it but also these companies can see it you know they can see that we think they're at 20 percent 
And, you know, they put, maybe they, like Todd says, maybe they won't give a shit. Yeah, maybe they'll be like, maybe it won't work, but, but maybe it will be helpful. But it'll work to this, I think it would work to this uh, extent that, one, companies will become internally competitive. You know, maybe we the hope. companies in the top 20 <laughs> might care that they're number 20 and not 18. And so they may want to change some things to get higher in their score. Also, or at the very least, we give the advocates within the company some ammo. On a personal... It does, it does, it does help because, I mean, it's like we... As a as an industry, look at the rates of other companies and what they're paying. I mean, because to be honest, if I sit here and say I need to be competitive with X company and they're now paying two hundred dollars more per illustration than I'm doing, well, that what that means is in order to be competitive, I have to up my rates. Yeah. You know, and so in that way, if we've got grades coming in, you're saying this company over here gets five stars and everybody wants to work for him and they're getting great art and getting great products, and I'm going. Well, why am I not getting the same level of quality? Well, I have to look at what they're doing. Because it may not always be about dollars. Because like you said, sometimes yeah. it's about rates. Exactly. You know, it's about it's what rights a lot of times what you don't get. Companies so, could have the same store, but one might pay lower, but give you much more, more rights. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and that will all be broken down in their store. You know, so you can see all of that. And it's a tool for young artists to see you know, what kind of risk am I taking when I... If I'm going to go, okay, this guy called me, I'll say yes to his job offer. These are the risks I'm, I'm going into bed with. He may not pay on time. A hundred people have said he may pay, not pay on time. Because we or talked earlier about ways in which, you know, we could get you to say no. If you know that a company, based on their rating, is paying awfully late or never, then when they come to you, you're more likely to say no. Now, because there have been plenty of companies over the years that I worked with, I got stiffed on. And I, you know, I couldn't shout to the world, avoid these guys. And so a year later, I see they're still working for Illustrator, with illustrators. They're not working with me, but they're working with other guys. And those guys are getting screwed. They could have all said no. And they could have spent that time productively because they spent the time and didn't get paid anyway. So if they've spent three weeks on a project and didn't get paid, they could have done something awesome for themselves and advanced their career. So this is a, a way to help people say no. And it's not just us saying, you should say no. But I mean, this, you'll want to say no because you'll see a company sucks at any of these given metrics and you'll just be like I'm just going to avoid these guys and or, so you, it makes it easier or for you. Or it's your opportunity to like like you said if you know going in you could you know if the art directors need to hear it more from every artist like hey is there going to be a problem getting paid is can we cut can, this off can I get half up front can or that up front yeah. and negotiate your score sucks on <laughs> on the Pavlik scale. There's <laughs> <laughs> a question up at the top. Somebody had a question? I'd like to say this is really fantastic. I, I go to uh, the Columbus College for Art and Design, and we don't cover this, like what your guys They won't. Try, yeah, they no they won't. We talk about contracts and stuff, but we have nothing as comprehensive as what you guys would feel like going into. And about dealing with companies that don't treat you properly or pay you what you deserve. Um, do you have any idea where this will come up? <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we talked about that. What we're thinking is that, uh, you know, a website takes a little money to, and time to put together. We're thinking a Kickstarter with a really low entry rate. And, and if you, you bind to the Kickstarter, like, you know, like, I don't know, five, ten bucks yeah. just to get in. And then you'll be, you'll be a member and that will give us some seed money to get the website created and figure out how it's going to go together. We'll probably want to do it as like a 501c. I don't know. This is still under discussion because we don't want there to be an appearance that we're profiting from your input. Right. Um, this is more community effort. Yeah. At the same time, you know, it's going to require somebody, not necessarily anyone up here, to, you know, vet, investigate, 
uh, deal with companies who are complaining, you know, and not sure that they've been rated fairly and why, you know, uh, do we really do pay on time, you know, what evidence yeah. do you have otherwise, you know, so it's going to require someone to be working on it. And so it needs to be something that's financially viable, at least to that level. Right. So the Kickstarter would get it running and then there'd be a very minimal due afterwards to, to become a member. Getting involved with creating a website, folding it into an existing organization. We talked yeah, about ASFA, and we, and we just thought they're too right. dysfunctional, and then we're right. we're then we're stuck with the Chesley thing, which is well, it's fun and it's great for the community, and it's it's been a really valuable thing for a lot of artists' careers. It's also what has kept ASFA ASFA from being the kind of advocacy group that it originally set out to be. As well, I, I brought up the idea this morning, and you know, a lot of this is really under discussion. Like, if we don't have a business plan or anything, I don't even, we don't even know who's involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, we're, so we're bouncing. This is our idea. You know, this was an idea meeting, so... Yeah, this and we want to get your feedback, too, yeah. so if there's time. But to, well, to, well, to, can I finish addressing uh, Mike's right. point really quick? And one of the things with rolling into an existing institution <laughs> is, my thought at least was, there aren't enough people in this industry to necessarily make it financially viable for the you know kind of effort to be involved. I would prefer to see this uh, tool for illustration in general hmm. because, you know, there's the artist's, uh, graphic artist market book, and it's got thousands and thousands right, of listing, right, and there are thousands and thousands of illustrators across the entire field of editorial advertising and all that who also need this, and they're yeah. getting screwed in their industries too, right? But so, it, can, it can start here. It can start small. Yeah, but, uprisings yeah. start yeah. in the ghetto, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they always start in the ghetto. <laughs> You know, quite frankly, none of the existing organizations have ever done anything to help me in my career. So I really don't want to be associated with an existing organization. I want it to be something new. There's a lot of people, young people coming out of school, and a lot of us who have been here for a while, and I think we need something fresh. Yeah, it keeps the intention simple and clear, whereas, you know, if we were to try to join up with ASFA or something, I'd be like it. No, I'm thinking graphic artist graphic skill. Graphic artist I could that, see I could see talking to them I at least for input and things. Yeah, yeah. Society of Illustrators or any other organization at least getting input and feedback. I know. Yeah. Because there's no. Profited greatly from being associated with graphic arts skills since the early at the very beginning of my career. Okay. Helped me enormously. Okay. Because uh, there's no other place to go to for reliable information about rates. Yes. Right. You know, and I heard wildly um, inaccurate. Uh, Recordings, you know, rumors of what Frazetta was getting, or this person. But I just want to know what the median standard was, and, mm -hmm. and they do get that by polling all the members and averaging out, you know. And they acknowledge in their in their handbook that it's the illustration is based on a star system, and there are going to be exceptions, you know, at the high end or whatever. But you know, and and they also establish industry standards regarding work for hire things, and they they fold in uh, sample contracts that you should be using. You can just um, download them, add your own uh, logo on the top, and, and use those boilerplate forms as your guide. And, and so that did a lot to help professionalize, I think, a lot of people in my generation, anyway, when we got involved, whether it, it would be uh, uh, appropriate for this what you have in mind. It, it could be in this sense. In our industry, sometimes we look at the graphic artist uh, guide pricing yeah. And then we just ratcheted it down like, you know, 40, 50% to be oh, realistic okay. in this field. But it could yeah. be useful as, as a standard by which we're giving the rating. Yeah. You know, how it's well are they actually, mm -hmm. you know, hitting those rates? Yeah. Because here they don't. Bill, did you have a comment? Yeah, I'm, I'm not 
an artist in any way, um, but I do have a business background. And I would just point out that if you list the names of all the illustrators who are part of your um, group, and then you you uh, publish a rating that's negative on XYZ Corporation, they're a small company, and they see all the people that are on the list, they may say, well, these three people are the only three people that um, you've ever dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. You could open those people up to, to retaliation. Law lawsuit. Yeah. So I, I would just, I agree. I would just suggest that you be cautious. I would, I would, I would prefer a purely anonymous system, personally. Yeah, for that, for that reason. You've had a question for a while. I, I was not so much a question. I just see a lot of potential for a positive, transformative effect because so many who are new to the industry don't know what to get into yes. with this company or that company yes. until you're already emotionally committed to it, and mm. it seems the standard. And there are a lot of companies that do seem to kind of um, feed off the new crop. That comes in, and if there's this rating system, then the up and coming artists can be aiming at the better companies and leaving the worst ones dry, or to reform, or which to is reform. fine with us too. Yeah, yeah. Right? we're dealing with negotiation because, like, very few people. Like, I mean, like, I'm graduating this year, and I'm dealing, learning how to deal or negotiate with a company is something I'm still very new to. Well, for a lot of our industry, there's very little ability. To negotiate it, to take it or leave it, because, like we've mentioned, there's so many other people. Like you step out of line, there's there's a line. <laughs> <laughs> line is still there. Mm -hmm. So that the idea is, if everyone stepped back, like Jim was able to do ten years ago, that's the only time a company can actually. Then they, if they have no one willing to work for them, then they have to change. But if yeah. you don't know that you have that power, or if you don't know that anyone else is willing to stand with you, then you can't, it doesn't... And I don't do even think that example I gave would even work now, because I only have contact with American artists, really, and if we all said no, the company would just be like, well, Go to Russia. I know all these Eastern European guys, Chinese guys, all these guys, so that would get filled. Hey, there's two of them here this weekend. We could take them out now. <laughs> <laughs> This guy here. Uh, so, I'll, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Can I just make an observation? Sure. You, I was in the industry for a little while and worked in the game industry and then got out. Um, what I see as part of the problem with you're talking about people being willing to step in line and just fill in that spot, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, so please take the, don't take this the wrong way, but when Michael and all the guys that I looked up to starting out, back in the 70s, people, and, and the publishers did this, they they went after people with a distinct style and a uniqueness to them. There seems to be, in, in my observation, um, a lot of cookie cutter sort of uh, style going on so that the X publisher has everybody painting exactly the same way, even if their portfolio, if you look at their stuff before they go work for this publisher, it's different. And now all of a sudden you see their work, and you don't even know it's their work until you see the name, mm -hmm. because there's a pressure for for this sort of cookie-cutter thing. And the people who buy into that, you are replaceable then. Yes. If, you, if you step into that style, and that style is so strong that it makes you change what you do, because there's good, you know what I mean? There's, But you can all be different. I mean... When I was growing up, I could tell a whaling from a 
Boris, from a Kelly Freeze, from a, you know what I mean? You think yeah, yeah. back when those guys working, starting out then, everybody had a unique style. And I see this homogenous thing happening where, okay, now it's like, okay, this is a X, publisher X's style and this is publisher Y's style. But there's no difference within that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you're seeing there is back then, in Michael's time, early on, there were only so many book covers a year. Now you have all these card games, and every set needs 150 cards. So there's all people, yeah. you're basically just filling a slot, filling a slot, filling a slot. And if you don't meet their style, you're not going to work. The work is for franchises, so the, the art is done for a card game, but owned outright, and then used on packaging, on posters at conventions. Right, and they've da-da-da-da. probably given you a style guide, which is exactly how that... that that's, that's more of an issue of branding, right? Because yeah. you have it's products point, that I mean, are commissioning a lot of art under one brand, so the brand needs to be visually unified, whereas before, each... Each, each commission was granular, right? One book cover needed to be different from the next so it could differentiate itself on the, on the bookshelves. And so now, so many products now are being done under a, a branded form so that they want an identifiable style within their brand, but they want their brand to be different than the other brand. And that's the only difference. It might not even be as different as you'd like it to be. Yeah. And, and but, if, if you go yeah. into the main show, you're not mistaking anybody's work for anybody else's no, and, work. And, and I and think those people have established themselves, and that's why they can continue to work in the industry because they've sort of got up above the clouds. Yeah, but we're, you know, me and Randy are in the main show, and we're still fighting this fight of this crappy pay. Yeah. But before we, we even get to look. like but, I know but, Randy's work as soon as I see it, and people know my work. As soon but as that kind of leads us to the Facebook question. Yeah, let, let, and, let the Kickstarter. The first thing about Facebook that. is, yeah, the Kickstarter. We don't know when it will be ready, but one thing we will do immediately is set up a Facebook page where uh, each of us on our websites, when it's ready, will say, "Hey, this Facebook right. page for the Kickstarter is ready. Go." like it, then you'll be ready to get messages for when yeah, it's ready. Probably, or to start contributing it. more ideas you know, yeah. to the discussion yeah, on how it might work. To, to discuss ideas, too. Have, were we there did other have, we did have up? one more point we wanted to make about uh, the industry in general and, and things that could help out a little bit. And somebody mentioned Kickstarter, which is a valuable tool <laughs> then if you want to say no to these companies and you come up with your own property, do a Kickstarter. If you raise enough money, you don't have to take these $200 jobs, and maybe you make enough for a six-month period to work on your project, and then it's your IP, and then you can do and lots of other things with it. And then you stand out from that crowd a little bit. And then if enough, enough artists are able to do that and sustain that model, then these companies have less of a talent pool to pull from, so they're going to have to start meeting certain needs that we have. And then maybe those who are successful with their Kickstarter, um, their income is, is their needs are being met, and it creates room for other people to move up. So there's no reason for. And speaking of Kickstarter, mine's kind of flagging right now, so you people might want to get on. There. <laughs> oh, I had a point on that. I was going to make. IP. I got a Kickstarter uh, thing that happened with a cousin of mine. He's a sculptor, and he's trying to get a. Job with Games Workshop. He's right out of school, and I was like, I, you know, he's like, I want to move. He's got like three kids. He's like, I want to move to the UK and work, you know, in house. And I'm like, I don't know how to pay, and I don't know. And he, he's like, Well, do you know any other jobs? And I didn't. I don't know about miniature sculpting, but anyway, um, I said, Well, maybe you should just work on your portfolio for a while. He put up a Kickstarter to do a line of miniatures, and uh, 
like first week he had like 30 grand, 60 grand. Um, he ended up going to 125 grand. So that was going to be my my point was that you know I, I wouldn't want it to seem like, and hopefully we're all realistic enough to know that just because you can kickstart yeah. an idea doesn't mean you're going to succeed at it. Right. You know, self publishing is always hard, and more often than not, you know, you might fail and have to start a new IP and try to launch that one again. Um, but one thing that a, you can earn some freedom if you can do it, and maybe you know don't reach for the moon and try to make three hundred thousand on your Kickstarter. But if you can get twenty thousand and block out a few months of time to work on something, that's a win. Additionally, the more IPs that are generated, the more, in a way, there's there's kind of a, a marketplace pressure that's put on companies because you're creating competition for them. Actually, you're creating you know new things that people will be spending their money on that they won't be spending. You know, they'll buy one one less other thing that, you know, a company is putting out. Um, so, you know, there's an army of creatives here that could be putting out things that people can be buying and enjoying, and uh, that actually just sp spreads the money out across the industry, you know, That's more so. Point, yeah. If you were willing to work for that low, you add up, you take a, a book's worth of those cards, hmm. but how much would that have cost? And you'll find out that's a really low rate for your Kickstarter, like two grand at some point when you start doing the math for what you would have worked for, and then what you're going to ask for, it's so easy to meet that you can, then you'll start like, why would I you were gonna, You paintings? were going to do 30 pieces in a year for $150, you know, how much is that in a Kickstarter total that you needed? Instead, do that work for Just your do project. Just for yourself. That's one of the mistakes I made when I first started freelancing is I didn't know anything. I didn't know who the clients were. So I just took whatever was offered to me. I did like $75 jobs because I thought that's what you're supposed to do is like work up. And then I wouldn't get paid. And then I think I, I realized that, you know, you could spend a week not working and just like applying for work and researching for better work. And then you realize like, you know, there's a company in Japan that'll pay, you know, 10 times what this guy pays and all I got to do is connect to that guy or in video games when I would make a video game magazine cover like they'll pay 10 to 15 grand for a video game cover um, to be made by um, like an agency so my point is is the rates and the math and, and the, the finances are wildly different in different areas and if you're just focusing on like RPG art um, those same opportunities may be available artistically, you know, in completely different, unexpected places. So it, it may be worth your while for more research and, and to just spread yourself um, into unexpected areas and and try to not just take the first things opportunities that come to you because you're excited that uh, a publisher said I want you and you're like that that makes you feel excited, you know. But sometimes saying no might be the smartest thing you do. So you've heard our ideas. Does anybody have any ideas they'd like to contribute that they think would help out? Uh, I'm sure you've thought of it, but uh, I'd like to mention just the finance sponsors. Uh, Kickstarter is really good at getting people to support. Yeah, that's a good idea. You had a comment? 
I know, we don't even have a name for yeah, it yet. No, I mean, that's how germinal this is. Idea. We're I kind of like the, the Pavlik scale. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> like we, I mean, we just wanted to put this out there and see if a few people liked it. Like, we didn't even know, you know, if people are, if you're all going to be, ah, it sucks. I mean, yeah. Do you remember there was a, uh, a shared uh, email forum called Art Dogs? Yeah. Remember that time? Yeah. I bowed out a long time ago because it just became, it became very <laughs> just too much garbage. Very slight. We all had to vote on on the Right. And these are the different ways in which we've tried to over the years. I've, I've moderated that for years. The art dog, by the way. Um, uh, to connect with each other and get this information to each other so we can help each other avoid things, help each other find opportunities even on top of that. And so, I mean, social media is, you know, Facebook's been fantastic for that, but it's not, it's not enough because, you know, on Facebook we're far more likely to talk about our successes and our wins and share those with each other, not very likely to talk about being screwed because we don't want any repercussions, you know, we don't want to be negative in public. I do. Um, well, <laughs> some do, yeah. <laughs> Bringing in some of the companies, not necessarily in in the like part of it, but in in the like how people are so proud to be in Consumer Reports. Like, hey, we did great in Consumer Reports. Do you see us? Well, I yeah. suppose we could come up like with a, a little bug for a company that gets five out of five, and they could put it on their website in their submission section. You know, like the listening, I can see like I want to sit down and like, okay, let me tell you what process and everything that's going on. Mm. You know, the reasons behind things, so you, can, you can be really transparent about that. And, we know. can create a new award. Well, right. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I can see it being a powerful tool for... Uh, <laughs> middle finger. Uh, Winner of the I, middle finger. I, I see my boss. Going, like, why aren't these people getting paid? Um, well, let me ask you, Zoe, like... If your boss saw that your score was not that great, would it bother him? Would oh, he? Yeah. See, well, that's but what we need. Because there's no other way for us to get to people above you directly. But if we do this and they see it and they're like, we're at 20%, what the hell is that all about? Yeah, John was saying that gives you ammo. Within the different companies, as far as like we have a million different properties and they all have different legal and licensing things and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I would very much like to literally sit down and, and mm -hmm. explain, you know, the differences behind things. You're afraid the rating system is too blunt to broadly cover, you know, the, the differences and nuances in, in why your company does what they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, saying I think it might be a, um, it might both mitigate uh, repercussions um, and as well help the, the rating pool to, to, offer to like come talk to us about your, your, your ratings and your process and how things work and just be transparent with each other. Maybe we could try to find a way where there's a connection to, to some of the main industry companies. So it's not yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. Like, not just a blunt number, but some way to you know mm -hmm. to be a resource for companies as well. As well not just yeah. for illustrators. Yeah, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. Don't forget to come and get one of these. Yeah, we're out of time, so we need to wrap it up. So look at look us up on Facebook, and we don't have a name. We don't so. have one. <laughs> <laughs> one last thing: if if you do go by my table to look at my shitty old art.
Do it today before the nice painting leaves in the morning. enjoyed this panel audio from the recent ElixCon Symposium, and remember to like the Drawn Today podcast Facebook page to get updates on future episodes. Take care, and remember to draw every day. Mm-hmm.